right, if we can have everyone who is fourth grade and down on up, come on up. How are y'all? Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Hi. <laughs> Hi, my friends. Everybody having a nice week? Yes? Okay. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever been very thirsty? It was hot outside, and oh, you needed to have some water. You were so thirsty. Okay, let's make a cup with our hands. We're going to have an ice-cold, refreshing glass of water. Are you ready? Drink up. Mm. Oh, it's so refreshing. But are you going to get thirsty again? Yeah, you are. And what are some other things that water is good for? Is water good for cleaning our bodies? Yeah. Is water good for um, plants? What happens if you cut a flower but you don't put it in water, what will happen? It'll, it'll die. It needs water. So we know that water is very important. We know that Jesus is the Son of God, but did you know that Jesus is also called the living water? What do you think that means? Well, in today's story, Jesus had been walking miles and miles, and he was tired. So he sat down next to a well. Now, do you know what a well is? Okay, Bo, what do you want to say a well is? Yes, and it was very important a long time ago. A long, long time ago, people couldn't go to the sink where there's a faucet and get water. They had to take a heavy jug, walk all the way to the well, get the water, and take it home. So this was a big job that was very important. So Jesus was sitting there by the well, hanging out. A woman comes up. He says, will you give me some water? Now, she was very surprised that he asked her for water because Jesus was Jewish. She was Samaritan. And in that time, Jewish people never talked to or hung out with Samaritans. No way. Even the disciples would not want him to do that. So the woman said, why are you asking me for water? Jesus said, if you knew who was asking, it's the gift of God that's living water. You would ask me for water. Jesus explained that when you drink water from the well, use water for different things, it runs out, you get thirsty again. But with his living water, you'll never thirst again. The woman said, oh, please give me this living water. And Jesus talked with her some more. He told her things that no one else could know, only God. And she listened to him. She asked for the living water, and he gave her the living water. Now, of course we know she's still going to drink water. She's still going to wash herself with water. What living water really means is that you get to live with God forever in heaven. And that is amazing news. And all you have to do is ask for the living water. What do you think about that? You want some living water? Can I give you some? 
No? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Only Jesus can give it, and you only have to ask him. So, yeah. That's it. Thank you to Miss Brittany. We're going to have um, parents from time to time do the children's sermon just so everyone can hear how everyone else does their devotionals. I think it's uh, helpful to learn um, from others how parents are doing devotionals, and uh, I think that's a valuable lesson. So, everybody, break open your Bibles. <clears throat> Hopefully you're bringing them. If not, we do have it online. I mean, uh, sorry, online, behind me which is online. There are also Bibles online. One day I'm going to surprise you all and break out the Greek. Which, by the way, uh, Brenda sent out. Uh, we are offering Greek classes if anybody wants to learn it. Um, I will be teaching, uh, so just send back Greek or Hebrew. We're polling and seeing if anybody wants to learn those classes, but let's open with some prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to come together to learn about the woman in the well, to learn about this in the Gospel of John. What does this mean for us? What, why did John put this in the Gospel, in his Gospel? What impact should this have on our lives? Father, I ask that as we look at this passage, dive a little bit more into it, impress it upon us, help us to think about it. Open our hearts and minds to what you have for us and close our ears to any error that I may speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So Kenneth Mitchell of Jacksonville, Florida writes, Years ago I worked part-time on the loading docks of various trucking companies, and at one company I met a fine young Christian man named Rufus Kidd. He had completed his associate's degree in transportation and wanted to make it a full-time career. Now, since the company was beginning to open up to minorities at that time, Rufus, an African-American, interviewed for a position. Now, later, I asked him how the interview went. He said it went really well, and they offered him the job. It was a full-time sales job, which would offer him an unlimited opportunity to advance. And he was really excited about it. I was excited for him. But he said he wasn't going to take the position, and that shocked me. It was everything he wanted, but he said he would have to give up his ministry with singles at his church. And so he said he would wait for another job to come along that would allow him to continue to teach his class. Rufus sacrificed his chance to leave the sweltering docks and gave up a brand new career to continue his teaching. Now, that makes no sense to most people in this world. It makes no sense to most people in our country, that kind of decision. We can't understand it. In fact, most believers can't understand this kind of decision. Why? You can put aside the class, Rufus. Why wouldn't you? For this kind of advancement? And most of us, before we come to Jesus, can't really grasp 
what life with him is like. And so for most people, they would say, this is nonsensical. Why would you ever do this for something pertaining to faith? And so we can kind of understand that. They have no idea what kind of difference Jesus would make in their lives. Now others, even if they've heard about Jesus, are just kind of sort of playing around with the idea of faith, never really doing much about it. Now both groups are like the woman at the well who runs into Jesus in our passage this morning. And if you find yourself in one of those two camps or you've ever struggled reaching out to someone in one of these two camps, this passage is for you. So we're going to open with John 4, 3 to 6. Jesus left Judea and he parted again for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar and near that field, uh, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, we had a series, of course, on the life of Jacob and Joseph and Judah, and so everyone should be pretty familiar with all of these things, and Jacob uh, gave this well to his son. Now, we find it in Samaria, and we're kind of surprised because Jesus is walking through Samaria, and if you didn't know anything about the Jews and the Samaritans, you're kind of shocked why in the world would Jesus be walking through Samaria? Well, you say, well, it's Jesus. Of course, he's going to care about everybody, so why wouldn't he walk through Samaria? Well, it turns out that when we look through history, the shortest way to where Jesus was going was through Samaria. And when we look at Josephus and other Jewish historians and historians around that era, and we look at the times, actually quite a few Jews would walk through this path. This was not all that uncommon. A lot of Jews would walk around Samaria because they didn't want to deal with Samaritans at all, but there were Jews who would take the straight path. Maybe they were older, maybe they were infirm, uh, maybe they had a lot of children with them, or maybe they just needed to get somewhere quickly and they didn't want to go around. After all, they didn't have cars, right? Many of them didn't have horses, Many of them didn't have other means of transportation. They were walking, and if you're going to walk, you don't want to take that much time, and so they would walk straight through Samaria. However, that didn't mean they liked talking to the Samaritans or would even deal with them. This is why when the woman who comes to the well finds Jesus resting, she asked this in 4.9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So many moderns have said this woman is marveling because Jesus, a man, is speaking to a woman. And that's kind of something that our modern age struggles with. We like to read back into Jesus's day and say they're all chauvinists. But if you read the Gospels, Jesus is constantly speaking to women, so that's not the issue here, right? That's something that our contemporary society likes to foist upon other societies. We, we're always thinking we're better than other cultures. That's just the way we are. We're an arrogant culture, right? That's modern arrogance. Jesus is constantly speaking to women. That's not the issue. Jews hate the Samaritans. Now, Jews don't have problems talking to Romans. They don't have problems talking to Greeks. 
they have problems talking to Samaritans. Why is that? Because like many cultures around the world, they don't like talking to half-breeds. They don't like talking to people who are mixed with their culture. That's not a thing that most cultures throughout the history have liked, and Samaritans to the Jews are considered half-breeds. What's the deal with them? Why are they like this? Well, Jesus says something that's kind of interesting in 19 to 23. The woman said to him this, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. As an aside, this is why people who are looking for the temple to be rebuilt and all of this stuff, this is where we get that's not a big deal. But notice the difference here. The Samaritan woman says we worship on the mountain, right? Or Jesus says you all are worshiping on the mountain and we are worshiping in Jerusalem, but you don't get it. Clearly, there's a rejection of the temple by the Samaritans, which is a rejection of the law of Moses. Because the law of Moses says what? Worship at the temple. Jesus tells the woman, you worship what you do not know. This is the Son of God saying this now. And we worship what we know. This would imply that the Samaritans don't really understand the nature of God. They're worshiping a form of God, but not really a God that they fully understand. So who is this God that they worship? Well, the trouble with Samaria started way back, if you understand First and Second Kings. You see, David had a son, King David, we've studied him in another a year. We studied that for a while. King David had a son, Solomon, and Solomon bankrupted the country of Israel, and he wore them out. And when he died, the people were tired, and he had a son, Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was offered a choice by his people, and the elders of his people said, look, you need to take it easy on your people, or the kingdom is going to split. And Rehoboam said, if my father, and he said it in a really crude way, we've got little ones here, so I won't say it, how crude he said it. The Bible, by the way, is not nice. But he said, I've got body parts that are bigger than my dad's, and I am much tougher than my dad. And my dad disciplined you with whips, and I will discipline you with scorpions. And so that was pretty offensive. He was about as offensive as you can possibly be, and so the kingdom split. And Jeroboam, what does he do? He splits. The people followed this other king called Jeroboam. And Jeroboam takes the northern tribes, ten tribes, and they split off. 
And so the kingdom splits into two. Now, Jeroboam was given those tribes by the Lord, and yet Jeroboam quickly rejects the Lord. Now, Jeroboam takes the area that would be called Samaria and some other regions. And after Jeroboam Jeroboam is given these tribes by the Lord, he says this in 1 Kings 12.26. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David, the southern kingdom. If his people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their lord, Rehoboam, the king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. He doesn't trust God. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. Now, where have we heard of two calves of gold before? When Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments. So, why would he make two calves of gold? How could he, this late in the game, still make two calves of gold? Anybody? Adults can answer this one. What's going on here? How is it possible that this late in the game, somebody is still making two calves of gold? What does this tell you about the Hebrews? Idolatry is still alive. And so he builds these two calves of gold, and he said, these are the gods who bring you out of Egypt. Behold your gods who brought you out of Egypt. Where was this said before? At Mount Sinai. And the Hebrews were punished and not allowed to go into the land of Canaan. They didn't learn their lesson. There was still a group who read this and still does this. How in the world does this happen? By the way, this isn't the only God. Remember last week we learned about as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Nahotash. Nahotash was also worshipped, the serpent in the wilderness. People saw that bronze pole that God said to look at, and they worshipped that too. Our thirst for idolatry knows no bounds. He set up one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan, and then this thing became a sin, and the people went as far as Dan to be before one, and he also made temples in high places, and he appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. So this pattern of worship never leaves the Samaritans. Even when most of the tribes in the northern kingdom are taken into the slavery by the Assyrians, so this is what happens, the northern tribes are conquered by the Assyrians and they're taken off. But here's what the Assyrians do. The Assyrians would take a certain portion of your people. The Assyrians were probably the most barbaric people who ever lived. And they would take a certain portion of your people when they took you into captivity, and they would relocate them into country A, and they would t- and, and B and C, so they would scatter you out. And then they would take people from A, B, and C, and they would relocate them in your country so that they would mix with people from your country. And there they've scattered, and they've made your country a mixed country. And they thought they could control your country better that way. So the people who stay in the northern tribes then become mixed with the pagans. The Jews become mixed with the pagans. 
The southern tribe of Judah is taken off into captivity by Babylon. Not all of them return, but some of them return, and it becomes a smaller kingdom. That country stays Hebrew. The northern country is mixed with Assyrians. Or, well, not Assyrians, but mixed with all these other cultures. And so it becomes mixed. Now, somehow or other, when the Jews finally return in full strength in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah from Babylon, the Samaritans seem to find Yahweh faith again. But it's still not the faith of Moses. So from the conversation with the woman in the well and from Josephus and others, we can tell it's much like the faith of Jeroboam. It's a hybrid faith to a Yahweh they don't really know. They keep worshiping a God on the mountain, not the one true God. Even after the Jews are surrounding them and the temple is rebuilt, they won't go to the temple. The one who brought them out of Egypt they worship, but they don't really know him, as Jesus says. Now, here's the thing. You may be this person, or you may have been this person, or, but you will certainly meet this person if you weren't this person or you aren't this person, you will certainly meet this person in our day. They are all around you. They live in the South, and they're definitely outside of the Bible Belt. Who are you or they? Samaritans are people who have the form of godliness, but not the full understanding or content. You or they aren't bad folks. They're Samaritans, like the woman at the well. Samaritans have grown up learning a thing or two about God. Maybe they went to church on occasion. Maybe they even went a lot. But they went to a church that was more social than actually believing. Maybe they've been a student of all sorts of religions. They'll say things like, all religions are the same. They all teach the same thing. And that's always the sign of a person who's never studied any religion very deeply because the first thing you learn when you study religions deeply is that none of them are the same. That's like saying all people are the same, or every snowflake is identical. It's an absurd statement. A searcher has a basic understanding and wants to find the truth. A blender is just creating their own religion out of a hodgepodge of religions. A disciple learns and follows and grows and eventually disciples other. And a casual believer just dips their toe in every once in a while, but they don't really want much to do with it. They don't really grow, and it doesn't really make too much difference in their life. And they often blend beliefs either because they don't know any better or they don't really care. And if they do care, it's, or if they don't care, excuse me, it's because this world seems happy enough or it's enough for them. The things beyond this world, they don't matter. Spiritual things, the afterlife, spiritual development, they haven't experienced them and they don't care to. They don't, they're not really concerned about them. Samaritans are Samaritans for all kinds of reasons. In our own life, we kind of experience this too with our health, right? We eat what we want, we do what we want, like when we're younger. We don't really think about our health. We act as if we're going to live eternally. And then we start to hit our 40s. And maybe we go in for doctor tests and we figure out, ooh, blood pressure's a little, cholesterol's a little high, this test's a little high, PSA's not right, this is not right. And then by the time we hit our 50s, if we haven't been paying attention, we're like, oh man, 
we got to really get on this. And if we really don't pay attention in the heart attack or the stroke or the cancer, the whatever comes along and wakes us up. Samaritans are Samaritans for a reason. They don't want to think about the afterlife, but sooner or later the afterlife makes us think about it. Either when we're in it, (laughs) or we have a brush with it. The woman at the well, she's lived a hard life. Married many times, and currently she's living with a man. Now she's hardly what anyone would call a person who has her relational life together. Doesn't make her a bad person. A lot of people struggle in relational life. The Bible's not calling her a bad person. The Bible deals with reality. Everybody in the Bible lives a messed up life, or almost everybody. We all live messed up lives. Just means she's not good with men. But from the well encounter, we do get that she's sharp and has humility and spunk. She's verbally sparring with Jesus, and Jesus is doing a play on words with water, just like he's going to next chapter, or a couple chapters, he's going to do a play on words with bread. He's going to do a play on words with light in another passage we're going to study. But in John 4.10, he answers her this, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And this encounter is Jesus' response to the Samaritans then and the Samaritans today. The woman said to him in 4.11 and 12, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. She gives the answer of a Samaritan, of a person with no understanding of the things of the spiritual realm. She lives for the here and now. Her whole life has been for the here and now. She's the casual believer. And Jesus answers her, He answers her question, pointing to a reality that she doesn't get and she doesn't even really think about. He says, ma'am, you have the Son of God, God Himself, sitting right before you, and all you can think about is drawing from a well of water. How are you missing it? Wake up, lady. People throughout the centuries and throughout the millennia would die for this chance to talk to God. I am right here. Wake up. You're so consumed with your chores. It's a thing that the majority of humans do. We miss it. Casual believer, ho-hum, no big deal, God sitting right before you. I've got to do things. And Jesus says, you know, maybe it is a big deal. Maybe you should pay attention. Maybe you need something different than well water. Maybe you need living water. And she says, sir, what is living water? Notice it's not until he tells her everything that she's done, that she thinks, what the heck? And her eyes begin to open. The Samaritan, she's shocked. 
her reality is rocked to the core. And once her eyes are open, she has stepped through the looking glass. She cannot unsee what she has just seen. Now she has a choice. Keep moving forward and follow the Savior or turn away and reject. What's she going to do? John 4, 28-30, So the woman left her water jar, went away into town, and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town, and they were coming to him. Come and see is her response. It's the response of all who are awakened. Jesus brings radical transformation. If only we will let him. All you have to do is ask. So why not ask today? Amen.